0: Love Top Radio All right everybody, welcome in, welcome in. It is Tuesday night, so you know what that means. It is time for Voiceless to Victorious. And this is Dr. Marcy and we are here tonight. Um, with a very serious subject, um, but one that I feel like is very, very necessary. So, as I welcome you on, this is Dr. Marcy with the uh, Doc America's Voice for the Voiceless. And each week when we get together, you can always expect the conversations to always be transparent, and for some, they may be even a bit uncomfortable, which is probably going to be the case with our subject matter tonight. but It's always my wish that what's said here uh, inspires you to grow through your discomfort and as always I want to ensure you that this is a safe space to bring your whole authentic self to my guests each week have successfully fought their demons um, and continue to um, battle towards healing and they have found their voices and they're actually entering into a state of empowered independence and so I humbly come before each of you tonight with the intention that something will be said tonight that will empower you to either begin or continue to make sustainable changes in your own life and your relationships um, and begin to proceed along your own personal journey to go from voiceless to victorious. Um, I always, every week, I ask God to use us to have the conversation that you need to hear, and I thank him tremendously for this platform, and the opportunity to become a conduit for healing. Um, Just as a reminder, um, every week the phone lines are open. They remain open for the duration of the show. And so if you'd like to call in with comments or questions, you can do so. Um, That number is 914-219-0880. And on that note, um, I am about to introduce and welcome in tonight's guest, A very, very special friend of mine. Um, I've grown to know her and to love her for her humility, uh, her transparency, and she has one of the most giving hearts of anybody I've ever met. Um, And, Ms. Lisa, I thank you for trusting me to walk with you this evening as you open up the vault and share your story. Um, And I know some of them for the first time publicly Um, So tonight, my victoriously courageous guest is Ms. Lisa Halls, and she is a three-time bestselling author. She's traveled around the world um, to spread her message about being a survivor of domestic violence and suicide. Uh, She shares daily inspirational messages, bringing hope and light. To others in their times of darkness Uh, she shared the stage um, on numerous platforms using her voice to remind other people that they're not alone you're not alone Uh, lisa has a unique ability to liberate women especially from especially working with domestic violence survivors and they're and she helps release them from their old stories and the beliefs um, by helping them to write new stories and creating new endings so together she works to craft a life worth living one with power, passion and purpose. So y'all please welcome in to the building Miss Lisa Halls. Miss Lisa, hello. Hello. How are you tonight? I am fantastic and I am so 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 happy for you to be on here tonight for you to be willing to have this um, conversation, it's not an easy conversation that we're about to embark on. So um, you and I have spoken before about your story and how your story is the story of many women and your secrets are the same and similar secrets to so many people, but um, they suffer in silence. And so I'm going to give you your roses early. I'm going to applaud you in advance for being open to this process and for your desire to help shine a light down a dark and sometimes deadly tunnel. Um, So thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate you, and I truly, truly believe that someone is going to be changed by your story tonight. So welcome. Thank you.
1: Thank you, and thank you so much for this opportunity to share this space with you and, and allow my voice to be heard. So I'm excited to break down some walls and and hopefully shed some light, like you said, to others who are struggling in their darkness and hopefully be able to have the strength to find their voice and, and know that they aren't alone.
0: Um, so thank you again. Absolutely. It's definitely, definitely my pleasure, my honor. Um, and, you know, I know that this wasn't one of the things when you woke up at the beginning of the year and you said, Hey, let me just go public and tell all my whole story <laughs> So um I thank you. It it takes a lot of courage to to speak your truth and to tell a truth that um even people who maybe know you and maybe know you quite well, um, don't necessarily know about you. And so for that I thank you. So I am going to stop talking and I'm going to turn the floor over to you and just ask that you kind of share with us your background. I know you have, you know, we've talked about domestic violence, we've talked about suicide, um, we've talked about self-harming, so lots and lots of things. So just kind of take us all the way back and bring the listeners kind of um, through your story and so they can kind of hear what your journey's been.
1: Absolutely. Um, So I was in a... Um, domestic violence marriage for eight years. Um, and during that time, um, I had left him six times before I finally walked away for a good seventh time. times. Um, lots of broken promises, lots of um, we'll get counseling, things will get better, we'll do what we have to do to make this work. And every time I went back, it was another broken promise. Um, and I... Um, I stayed in the relationship and the marriage, um, because I didn't want another, this is my second marriage. I didn't want another broken family. I didn't want uh, my kids to go through that again. And, and if I would have known then what I know now about the damage that not only did it cause myself, but it caused my family, um, and my children, I would have left the first time and never returned, um. And I, thinking, you know, um, my mom did it. My mom did it for 12 years. Um, she stuck around with it for 12 years. And if she could do it, you know, then who am I to take it out of it? Who am I to walk away from this? Um, and so after I had left my marriage, um I didn't really know how to handle it. I didn't, you know, I was homeless on the streets with my children. Um, the night before I left, my ex-husband, I had prayed to God and I said, "I need, I need help. I need help to get out of this and not return." And the only way that I'm going to be able to do, to, to do this is through your strength. And and um, he had opened the door to make that happen my ex-husband was sleeping and i had called my son the night before and said we're leaving we're not coming back and i need you to pack enough stuff for whatever's going to fit in the car we don't i don't know where we're going to go um so enough stuff to fit in the car and and um and we're leaving in the morning and that was our journey to um finding hope to be able to find an out um as I stated, we were homeless on the streets and sleeping behind um church buildings, sleeping in empty parks, um, at night and um I had many sleepless nights because you, you hear all those stories of things that happen at night in the park and I had to make sure that my kids were protected and and so they were sleeping, I stayed awake. Um Hoping that we wouldn't be, you know, the police wouldn't be coming and removing us from the park and, and, um, you know, parking lot, Walmart parking lots and wherever we could find to sleep, um, and stay warm. It was in the wintertime, so wherever we could, I could keep them as warm as I could until we were able to get into a shelter. Um, we were homeless on the streets for three months. Um, I tried saving enough money, um, putting enough money away, um, to save up for our exit, and my ex-husband had found my stash of money. Um, so he didn't find all of it, but he did find a good majority of it. So I had to figure out how we were going to survive um, on what little resources that we had. Um, but we did. We survived, and we were able to get into a shelter, and um, that really started my journey of, of being able to get back on my feet um, or the survival part of it. Um, but I still was suffering through the mental health, and how was I going to deal with this mental, you know, mentally, and um, sure. and the pain that I was dealing with, and was so deep inside that I I didn't turn to drugs and alcohol for um, for my outlet. Um, I had turned to self harm. And cutting was my option, or cutting was my resource. And um, I was cutting to remove that that pain that was deep within my, my soul. And the only way to relieve that was, was to cut. Um, I have many memories of just sitting in the bathtub and not even knowing the damage that I did um, until that. That feeling and that pain was released. Um, I was so unconscious of and not aware of of the damage that I had done um, until um until it was relieved and um and i um, didn't seek help um uh, didn't seek counseling um until um, one day I was at work and um, I had called up a girlfriend of mine and said, I need you to make sure that my kids are taken care of and and um and protected and she goes, What do you mean? And I said, I'm not giving you any other information, just make sure that my kids are taken care of. Um, and I had a plan. My plan was to go home and, and go into the bathroom and in my life. I was done, I was done fighting, I was done dealing with it um you know my kids being in and out of the system and and um, they had their resources that they had turned to and and um being a single mom trying to balance it all and two jobs and everything else I was tired I was tired of fighting and um and I remember the police coming to knock and knock at the door and um I had come out and they said, is everything okay? And I said, yep, everything is fine. And they said, we had a wellness check phone call and um, looking at your arms, everything is not okay. I said, I'm fine. And they said, "Um, we're gonna take you to a place to get some help. And I said, "I'm, I'm not going. And they said, well, you have two choices. Either you can go with us voluntarily the place for 48 hours or we're going to take you to the hospital and that's where you'll be for two weeks. Um, and so I chose the 48 hour option and ended up being admitted into community bridges. And that was literally the best thing that's ever happened to me. Um, so it's still a fight every single day. Um, to this day it's still a fight. Um, I haven't self harmed in, in two years. Um, but I'm still triggered. I still have those urges. I still have the urges of ending my life and just being done. but what keeps me going is my kids. my kids is what keeps me going and what keeps me fighting. Um, so through all of it, I just learned to reach up and reach out and and um, find that circle of find that circle of trust. It's been. It's been hard. You think that you can trust someone and you break that trust and you're back to score one trying to find who it is that you can really trust and reach out to in the darkest of nights. But I'm grateful for who I have in my life and for that circle of of people that I'm able to reach out to.
0: yeah that you know you and i have talked um over a period of time about your story and um how compelling it is because um, there's a lot of common factors um in your story and one of them was when you started out talking about the domestic violence and you said that you left six times um before you left for good and you know just that piece alone, um I think a lot of times women we um, myself also being a survivor myself also should should have left before it got to the point that it did in my relationship as well. Um, I think that they say the statistic is on average that women leave an average of seven times. Um, but can you talk about a little bit about how you felt, like, explain what, for you, because for everybody it's different, I get that, but for for you, what was it, do you think, that um, made you go back before you left for good?
1: Um, it was really having another broken family, Um and just being wrapped myself, he stripped my self-worth of me. Um, I no longer had my self-worth. Um, and he had told me multiple times that nobody's going to want me with four children and nobody's going to, you know, I'm not going to be able to make it without him. I didn't care if anybody wanted me, you know, um, being a single mom. That wasn't my concern. I was content being a single mom for the rest of my life, but it was being able to survive out there um with four children and, um, and not, um, just being able to, to be able to stay away and, 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 um, Was he abusive was finding
0: to you it. and the kids? Go oh, no, ahead, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, was he, I was just oh. going to ask, was he abusive to you and the kids, or was all of the abuse centered on you?
1: Um, he was abusive to me and my children. Um, very physical, very emotional, um, verbal, sexual, um my husband had raped me um, when disciplining the children. Um he was very um abusive to them and I wasn't allowed to have a voice at that time, um, to the extent of um, of the discipline with them. And um I had so my children, three of my children, four of my children, three out four of my children were um, raped and molested by my stepson. And I had called the police numerous of times. Um, I had called CPS numerous of times to get the help and get the resources to leave him. Um, again, if I would have known then what I had known now, it wouldn't have happened. Um, over and over again, and um, when CPS had come to my house, they had told me, they had called me and said they were coming, and I told them, I said, if, if you have any questions for me, um, call me after because I will not be allowed to answer any questions um, when you're here, um, and their response to... What my stepson had done to my children was put an alarm on the door, put an alarm on the door. So anytime he opens the door, the alarm will go off. let not remove him from the situation or anything, because every time I tried to leave, my ex-husband would take the keys from me. He would block he would the door. I wasn't allowed to leave. Um, and when I was able to get away, he would find me every single time. Um, and so... I had to leave when he was asleep. That was the only way that I could do it. Was leaving when he was asleep, um, and looking in my rearview mirror and hoping that he wasn't going to wake up and come and try to find me. And and um,
0: I just when wanted you, to when whoever. You go ahead. You said what?
1: I just want to give hope to whoever is in that situation and whoever thinks that they can't get out, that, you know, to reach out, there's resources out there that you're able to, and and anybody can tell you to leave. And it's easy to leave. You know, I have family members and friends that told me all the time, just leave them, just leave them. And it, it wasn't until, you know, I was mentally ready to leave. It was and, and prepared to make that, that decision did I do it um, to make that final decision where I said I've had enough and I'm not doing this anymore um, it's so much easier for somebody to say just leave fuck if it was easy to do that then everybody would do it on the first time but
0: mm-hmm. yeah I always liken that conversation to telling a fat person they need to lose weight shit I know I'm fat like I don't need you to tell me that and it's the same thing with domestic violence. It's the same thing with a lot of things. Um, and you and I have had this conversation before. That you know, if it was just a matter of somebody saying, "Hey, go get some, go get some help, just leave," then to your point, everybody would do it. it we wouldn't have um, epidemics of domestic violence. We wouldn't have um, hundreds and thousands of children in inside of the. CPS system, I mean, there's you wouldn't. so many things wouldn't be as they are if it were just as simple as just go do it. Um, and, you know, you made a good point when you said, I wasn't going to leave until I was ready. And I think that's the piece that people get hung up on is trying to understand how in the hell are you not ready? And... You know, I remember asking myself that, like, why did I go back? Like, what did I think? And and even in my relationship that I had with the narcissist, um, and that was so mentally destructive. And, you know, you talk about having your your self-esteem and your self-worth torn away. Um, So you actually live in a space of self-loathing. And I don't think people get that when you reach that point, there's no vision for something else. There's no vision for any other opportunity. So the concept of leaving doesn't even sound like it's really possible for you.
1: Mm -hmm. That's why we keep
0: going back. You know, and and I've said on previous shows too, you know, one of the things that we go back for is because all times aren't bad times. Um, And so you kind of hold on to the good times. You hope those good times will turn into more and more good times and that the good times will last. And inevitably that's not the case. That's not going to be the story because abuse doesn't end on its own. Someone has to make choices. Um, They have to choose to stop abusing or you have to choose to extricate yourself from the relationship and the situation. It doesn't fix itself without a lot of work. Um, I think, you know, when you talk about the kids and what happened to them, were you, so I'm trying to connect the dots between you leaving him and when you Became suicidal, so that was after you had already left. At that point, right? You were out out of that relationship, right? Yeah, I
1: was out of that relationship.
0: Um, okay, mm-hmm.
1: it was my um, my ex husband had called me one day, and what started my my journey of, of cutting was and self-harm was. My ex-husband had called me one day and said "Um, we just got the results back from um, how many times um, my daughter had been raped and molested and the extent and the details of it and um, I literally dropped the phone and went to the bathroom and I just fell to the floor. Um, why he felt the need to tell me. Um, any details like that, I have no idea. Um, but literally, I okay.
0: didn't. know? I'm sorry. I was saying, do you think that you needed to know, though, what she'd been did. through?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I definitely needed to know, for sure. Um, but in the moment, you know, uh, I, it was it was all in the moment that I had gotten mm-hmm. that phone call and my reaction and how I was feeling in the moment. Um, I, you know, I had gone to the bathroom and Again, that pain was just so deep within that i um, I reached for the thing and I just I just started cutting. I just reached for some some scissors and and tweezers or something. I can't remember what it was, but and um, just and just started cutting and to release that pain. Um, um and tried getting you know. I tried getting my daughter help and tried getting counseling and, and my other kids as well. Um, and unless you're open to it um, and receptive to it, it's, you know, it's, I don't know. It You have to be ready. You have to be ready for, to, to be able to talk to somebody and be able to be vulnerable mm-hmm. to a counselor, and, and they just weren't ready for that space um they weren't ready to for that space of vulnerability and and um to have that outlet at the time. Um, and all I could do is you know, once I finally left was provide that help and and safe place for my children and and um it was hard. It was hard. Um, because my kids didn't turn to self harm. They had turned to other things, you know, they turn to drugs and alcohol and they turn to um getting in trouble with the law and stuff like that and, and that was their outlet at the time and and um and now they're doing amazing. My kids are doing awesome and and thriving and and um you know, clean and sober and everything and so um so that was their way of coping.
0: So when you were um so CPS got involved, and so how did that process go? When you um, you said you were your family was homeless for three months um, until you were able to get into a shelter. Talk about that process and kind of what struggles that you faced, and like was did you was 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 CPS not available? Like I'm trying to understand. Like it seems like they came in to intervene at one point, but then when you're homeless on the streets and your kids need a roof over their head, where where was that? What was that process like?
1: Um, So they came in and intervened, um, and I had so I had left. I left the house. Me and my ex-husband owned a a cab company, and so um, I had left my home um, one night, and I called the police because, again, I couldn't talk around my ex-husband and have a voice around him. And so I had left and met, I called the police and said um, there was another situation of of my stepson um, coming into my daughter's bedroom and... I need help and, and I need somebody to intervene and he needs to be removed. And, and I've tried getting them to be removed from him out of the home and, and they, for whatever reason, wouldn't. Um, I feel like the system has failed me as well with that situation. I do alarm him on the door and, or have him sleep on the couch, just have him sleep on the couch, you know? And, oh, wow. um, and so, right. Right. Um, And so I had called the police that night, and they got CPS involved. Um, We ended up having to go down to – I can't remember what it's called, but we went down to the CPS office, and we were interviewed, and it was a very long, lengthy process. And um, when they released us um, and let let us go, they had met us at CPS, and the police had met us at – at my home and and had removed my son, my stepson out of the house and the following morning, because I already made that decision that we were leaving and not ever returning. Um, he was removed and, and, um, and we left, we left the next morning. Um, and so he didn't get any charges on him. Um, he, uh, yeah, he was put away into, my stepson was put away into um, some kind of rehab facility or something. Um, I wasn't really involved with that. Um, after we left, I was focused on my kids and getting the, the help that they needed and getting stable. And But being homeless on the streets, CTS wasn't involved at that time. Um, because I was driving for the cab, the company that me and my ex-husband owned. Um, I no longer could do that because he had removed me from all the insurance the day that I left. Um, the next day, he removed me from everything, um, took me off the insurance and everything else. So I wasn't working. So I was surviving off of the income or the, the money that I had put away. Um, mm-hmm. And to be able to make sure that my kids were fed and we would take showers and not showers. We would, you know, sponge baths and stuff and stuff. QT bathrooms and whatever we had to do for to survive. That's what we did for three months until we were able to get into Save the Family. And there was an opening at at um, not Save the Family. It was a new leaf shelter we were able to get into. And then from there, we were there for three months and then got into um, Save the Family for transitional housing. Wow.
0: So I'm going to take a quick little music break and give you a moment to breathe. Um, And then when we come back, I want to talk about that part, um, specifically about the peace, because that's a big part of what keeps women in those situations, is the lack of support when you do leave. So I want to talk um a little bit more in detail about that when we come back. So let's go to a quick music break and we'll be right back guys.. No Break um, with Miss Lisa Hall, and um, you know I played the song a little bit longer than mm-hmm. I normally do because um, I think maybe Miss Lisa might have needed to breathe for a second, and I needed to breathe for a second. Um, and I think that song in particular speaks to the fact about our ability to overcome through faith and you know one of the things miss lisa said a little bit ago was reach up and reach out and that doesn't always necessarily mean only to um, those in human form sometimes we have to reach up and reach out through our faith um, as well so uh, we are back from break. The phone lines are open. Um, guys, the number to call in if you want to is 914-219-0880. And um, let me give you some resources as well. Um, if you're feeling trapped in an abusive relationship and you're unsure where to find your local resources, you can always reach out to the National Domestic Violence um, 24-Hour Hotline um, they can be accessed online at the, at the hotline.org. That's T-H-E, hotline.org. Um, or you can call 1-800-799-SAFE. Seven, and so that's safe is 7233. So 1-800-799-7233. And if you find yourself in a position where you need suicide support, um, you can call the suicide prevention line. That number is one 800 273-TALK, so one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five, 273 8255 or you can visit them online at suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Um, and then also those resources as well as for sex trafficking and some other things are available on our website at 9seconds.org. So I wanted to make sure that... Um, We've put those resources out into the atmosphere for you, um, and I'll repeat them again before the end of the show. Um, but before we went on break, um, the phone was called No Weapon by Fred Hammond. And before we went on break, um, we were talking about how you found yourself in the streets with nowhere to turn, your job was taken away from your, by your abuser. CPS had failed you on numerous occasions previously um, to protect you, to protect the kids. Um, and I, you know, I, I alluded to that before we went on break, how that's, that's a, it's such a powerful testimony to why women stay. Everybody asks the question, why don't you leave? But they're not asking what makes you stay. Those are the kinds of things that make people stay, is not having resources, not having an outlet, not having support, not having a place to go, not having a place to take care of your kids, not knowing how you're going to feed them, not knowing how you're going to support yourself. That's terrifying. And so I, I, I okay. guess, huh? Oh, go ahead. <clears throat> I guess I can't imagine i've never been I've never been homeless I've never been unhoused I've never been on the street with my children and it breaks my heart that you've had that experience. It breaks my heart that a lot of people have that experience. Will you kind of
2: peel back that
0: onion for people and you know, you mentioned the, the bathing in, in public restrooms and things like that. But what were some of the other struggles that made it so hard until you were able to get into a facility to for a shelter? Um,
1: I don't like people knowing that I'm struggling. That was that was my biggest challenge was knowing, letting people know that I'm struggling. Um, we stayed in a park that was right across the street from my cousin and she didn't even know until I shared my story with her a couple years later. Um, and she's like, had I known you could have stayed with us, but I, I, I mean, I got so used to hiding behind the smile and, and faking my way through everything that um, good. um, I would figure it out. I mean, my kids would figure it out and um and so to reach out and and put you know um put my pride aside and and ask for help that was that was hard for me um it's still hard for me to reach out to people and let them know that I'm struggling or or that I need help and I had a conversation with um, with a friend recently who um, I've known for years, and and um, every time that he would ask me how he was doing, I'd tell him oh, I'm good, I'm good, and he always walked away with. He told me that he always walked away with the thought of how is she really good with everything that she's dealing with and everything that she's been through. How is she good? And um, um. He said, "I was waiting for that day that you would, you would break." And I had a breaking point with him, and I just cried and and lost it, and said, "I just can't do this. I can't, can't fake it anymore." Um, but it's so hard for me to reach out. Um, still to this day, I have people, you know, I have friends and family. You know, if, if you need someone to talk to or you're struggling at night, just reach out and. It's hard. It's hard to let people know that that you're struggling. It's hard to let people know that you're not strong anymore and that you can't do it and and, um, if people are given just a couple of words that they can text to somebody um, you and I had a conversation recently um, and I told you that I've been struggling and And you said just text nine one two because if you text nine one one, then the police are going to be notified. But nine one two, we need to talk, or just a code word. Um, I can't tell you how much that has has saved me, um, and how much I reflect back to that. Um, So that's why that's why we were homeless for so long because I was I put my pride aside and. I didn't want people knowing that I was struggling.
0: I think that is a piece that um you know you said something at the very beginning, even beyond you not knowing quite how to put your pride aside or not wanting to let people know. Um, you said in the beginning that. I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh my god! Like I'm so emotional right now. Like you have no idea. Um, but you you were talking about um, you know when you when you leave, and it's it's not necessarily about the pride, but you said I was so used to hiding it, and I think we get into the dysfunctional habits of hiding behind what we think people want to hear versus speaking our truth. And that's what finding your voice is. It's about being able to speak your honest, whole truth regardless. And... Because what I've found is, and and you know I've told you before, like I I don't like to ask for help. I don't. I like to just try and figure it out. You know, I got (laughs) good friends who, like, if they can't find something in the store, they're like, "Hey, excuse me, where is this at?" Me versus me, I'll walk around for a half hour looking for it before I will ask for help. So I totally get, um, I totally get that. But I think that that's one of the things that with domestic violence and with, you know, suicidal thoughts and with depression that we get so used to and so accustomed to wearing the mask and putting on the smile. Like I told you before when, you know, because you and I met on social media and I would have never in a million freaking trillion years imagine that your story is your story and your secrets are your secrets because what you see is a gorgeous smile you're happy you're 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 caring you're so affectionate you're considerate um there's not even a trace of bitterness that i've ever seen even for things that, you know, people would give a pass. Like, oh, yeah, I see why she's, you know, but you're not, you know, and that's testament to to your character but also to your strength. And I think I know that you don't even recognize your own strength sometimes. But to be able to do these things and to navigate these things um, is strength. Even if you need to ask for help, a weightlifter still has a spotter. It doesn't mean that you're not strong because you have to ask for help. And that's you know that's a takeaway that I hope if somebody's listening, somebody's struggling, that they remember that sometimes you just need a spotter. It's not about not being strong. It's not about not being capable. It's about you just need some freaking help sometimes. And you know, I'm I'm swallowing that pill as I'm I'm giving out the message because, like I said, I don't I don't I mean I don't I don't. It doesn't matter what it is. I don't like to ask for help. Like it's my car. Like it doesn't matter. I don't like to ask for help. So I get it. I know that it's hard, and that's why you know I told you like just texting nine one two like. You don't even have to use the word help. You don't have to use I need to talk. You don't have nothing, just like you're in need. So if you don't do nothing but sit on the phone and breathe, then we're just going to sit on the phone and breathe together, but you're breathing, and that's really what matters yeah. at the end of the day. So yeah. um, I want to talk about the self-harm because I think there's also a lot of misunderstandings about that. Um. You know, I've never felt suicidal. I've never felt like cutting myself would make me feel better. I've never turned to drugs. I've never turned to alcohol to solve my problems, other than the occasional glass of wine or four. (laughs) But (laughs) beyond that. um, So will you talk about that? Because you said when you were describing it, you said, and I picked up the scissors because I wanted the pain to go away. And I'm trying to understand how that makes the pain go away.
1: Um, it wasn't. The pain was it was buried so deep inside that crying wasn't enough. Crying wasn't relieving it. It didn't matter how much crying I did. Um, it was not relieving it. Um and so I, I actually had turned to um, just keeping razor blades hidden, not just, but keeping razor blades hidden, and that was my source. Um, I would go into the bathroom, and I wouldn't do it in front of my kids. I wouldn't do it um, out in the open. It was always behind closed doors, and and um, but it was cutting until. That pain no longer existed deep inside, and now I'm having to focus that pain on the damage that I just done um, because the pain was so deep um, that pain from cutting had no resemblance to the pain that I was feeling and that I wanted to release um, I tried talking about it. I tried, you know, I felt like that was my only, at the time, felt like that was my only outlet. That was the only thing that I could do to release that pain, and and that's what I would do. Some days were harder than others, and and that's why I mentioned that I would, I would sit in the bathtub, and I didn't even realize how, you know. I think one time I between my arms and my legs I cut at least Seventy-five times um, before I finally realized the damage that I had done. Um, Do you and not feel it? Times, You don't. You're so numb to it. You're so numb to the pain, like numb to that razor blade. That you don't. You don't feel it at least I was in my experience, I was numb to it. And I didn't feel, the only thing that I felt was that, that inner pain being released through the blood that I was shedding and through my, through the damage that I was doing to my body. Um, And then over the years, realizing that there's other sources, there's other outlets to it and, and seeking help and seeking counseling and therapy and, Um, am I still triggered to it? Absolutely. Um, but I can't tell you, I can't even count how many relationships and friendships I have lost, not even intimate relationships, just friendships and, and relationships and people who have left my life because of self-harm and, um, so building up that circle of trust again, you think you can you can um, trust somebody with your darkest of secrets and they find out and they turn their back on you. Um, so before so when I I when I meet, leave it, they can't handle it. it, it they can't. It, it's too much. They can't. They're not, they, they can't They even they not support me through it, but they can't even be there for me through um, don't call me. You know, it was never give me a call before you get to that point or give me reach out. Um, when you get to that point, it was um I can't process this and I can't deal with it and I can't I can't be a part of your life. Um, I've had a lot of relationships in that way and people walk away from me because of it. Um and so then you get to the point of, well, how much of my story do I reveal to this person that's entering into my life um, at any level? Um, how much do I reveal? And so I would just reveal bits and pieces of, of my story. And, you know, you hear don't reveal everything, don't give them the whole book at the very beginning. and And I've learned that, you know what? this is my story and this is who I am. Either you're going to stick with me. If you can't handle me at my worst, you're not going to be able to handle me at my best. So there it is. And I'm giving you an option to stick around or walk away. And, um, it's hard. It's hard, but, you know, I just, I'm tired of giving bits and pieces and building up that trust for, for them to walk away after I've opened up that door. Um, my circle of trust is definitely um, but I feel like I have a very strong, no matter how small it is, I have a very strong circle of of people that I can reach out to right now. That's why I encourage people to reach up and reach out before that backpack gets too heavy that you can't, that you can't carry it around anymore and, and. Don't wait for those rocks to become boulders. Reach out when you're having pebbles in your backpack. Reach out when you just have those small rocks in there. And get the help that you need and get the support. Find that support that you need to be able to get to so that you don't turn to suicide being a result of and that's it. Um, I had a conversation with my son this morning. Um, he had come in and and um, woke me up and wrapped his arms around me and and um, he was just sobbing and crying. And I said, "What's going on?" I said, "Okay." And he said, "I was laying in bed last night watching." a TikTok video and of this mother who just couldn't do it anymore. And she drove off a runway into a lake and she wasn't, her body wasn't found for four years. And that took me down a rabbit hole. And I just couldn't imagine, um, something happening to you and us not being able to find you. Um, With my suicidal thoughts, um, I have, you know, I no longer turn to cutting, but when I have those thoughts, it's what mountain can I go to? I don't have a plan, but what mountain can I go to to get away and I'll figure it out once I'm up there. And so he had said, I can't ever imagine trying to figure out what mountain you decided to go to and, and be done. Um, and I'm very open with my son and, and the struggles that I deal with He's very We have a very good relationship Of of Openness um, And he's aware He's aware of what I've been dealing with And the struggles that I deal with And, and when I'm triggered And I told him today You, you know You kids are what I live for because are what I hang on to and what I, why I don't give up um, as hard as it is. Um, I still have, you know, I still have my days. I'm not okay in every way. Um, but I still strive to push through and push, you know, you and I were talking about that middle, that middle ground that middle ground where it's the hardest. And we just had to keep pushing through that middle ground. Um, and mm-hmm. once we get through the middle, um, then there's hope, you know, there's hope at the end of it. But just don't give up in the in the middle.
0: Yeah. Um, to that point, that whole conversation about it being so hard in the middle, um Everything we do is hard when you're in the middle of it. Every obstacle that we face, every struggle, every, for lack of a better term, probably a choice of words, every mountain that we have to climb, mm-hmm. um, it's hard in the middle. But if we can get through that middle part, that that, and even if it's just a day, if we can get through that day to get to the next day. And then on that day, just focus on getting through that day. Pretty soon you're not in the middle anymore and you can start to see some light at the end of the tunnel. But that middle, that middle time is hard. And you know, you and I have tried, I've tried to understand, um, and that's part of the reason why I'm doing a few episodes, um, really targeting, um, the conversation surrounding suicide because as much as I understand healing and as much as I understand and study mindset and behavior and things like that, I've never um, experienced a thought that said suicide was my best option. And I don't I don't know why that is. I don't know why some people have the thought and some people don't have that thought. Um, but, you know, you and I have talked in the past, too, about how... People have tried to, I mean, because you kind of, you're left to second guess what somebody was thinking or what somebody was feeling in absence of them leaving some sort of an explanation, but even leading up to um, the choice to commit suicide, that dark place, and I think that's how you often refer to it, is is is. You know, I I just go to a dark place. Can you describe that feeling? Like, is there something in that feeling that somebody would know, or could say, or do, um, that can reach you when you're in that dark place, or do you have to just find your own way out?
1: Um, there's been times that I've had to find my own way out of it. Um, I've, I've learned to, I've really learned to not, not just, I mean, my circle of trust, but, but I, there's always one, at least one person that knows that, um, that I'm there, that I'm in that dark place. Um, you know, it's, you said taking it day by day and sometimes it's it's as little as breath by breath. Um, sometimes taking it day by Mm -hmm. day is way too much and thinking, how am I going to make it throughout this day? How about if I just get through this next breath? Let me just stop and breathe and get through this next breath. Um. I've, I've incorporated meditation into my daily routine, and um, um, and became a part of a community on on Clubhouse. It's called Pause, Breathe, and Reflect. And and um, you can't just meditate and breathe the first part of your day. You know, there's rooms, there's days that the room is open three to five times a day because we have to take that moment to just breathe for five minutes and focus on our breath and focus on that moment and just set your backpack down. Um, and it's finding that community. It's finding that community of, of support um, and knowing that you're not alone, even in your darkest of times. Um, I'll have you know. Just recently, I had um, a very dark moment where I just said, I'm just done. I'm just done, um, and I reached out. I reached out to my community the next day and in on Clubhouse and said, "This is what's going on, and this is how I'm feeling." And and um, I can't even tell you the amount of support that I got just to push me, just to get me through that moment, that moment of how I felt, and and it was beyond that moment, it's how can we continue to support you, and people would check up on you, so, or check up on me, um, to make sure that I was good, and they still continue to check up on me, Um, just pay attention, pay attention to those who are struggling, Um, if you know someone is struggling, it's when they get silent, um, Check on them often. Don't just check on them during suicide awareness awareness month, and you know the video that we just watched. Don't check on them and, in May and in November. Check on them all the time um, because it's when they get silent. It's when that's when I and at my darkest moment is when I get silent, and um, and so it's just reaching up and reaching out. And knowing that I have the ability to rise up from this and rise up again and again and again, no matter how many times I fall, um, I just continue to get stronger and stronger through it to be able to have my voice to be heard, to be able to speak out about it and give others hope that there's so much more and just those thoughts that are racing through your mind and in that moment.
0: I definitely think that we have to make room to um, and give ourselves permission to let go of some things and let go of um, maybe some regrets, maybe some self-blame, some, you know, when you talked about the stuff that happened with your kids and how you went back. And, you know, that was one of the things with my domestic violence that. I had to learn, which was to forgive myself. And because it's easy when you're... when you're, It's so easy to beat yourself up. Like, it's so easy to say, God, I was so stupid, I should have done this, or I shouldn't have done that, or this is all my fault, or that's all my fault. But at the end of the day, everybody's making choices. And... um you know, knowing that you struggle with, um, mental health, making sure that you have access to resources and, and, you know, like you said, like I have a circle of people now and I have a community that I rely on that, you know, reached out to me and, um, you know, for all the bad that influence that social media can have, there's also some pretty dope hidden blessings um tucked away through our ability to connect globally with people. Um, you know, it's a it's a blessing and a curse sometimes, but I think just giving ourselves um permission to take the time and you know, your point about sometimes getting through a day is too much. That's that's good information to have, you know, like when you're trying to understand what somebody's going through and you want to be compassionate and you want to be supportive, I think sometimes you can inadvertently say the wrong thing and make things work worse because we don't understand um, the battle that the person is fighting. And so if I give you the wrong if I give you the wrong weapon to take into battle with you your likelihood of success in the battle is not as well as if I know what you're fighting and I know what tools you need so so thank you for that um, I'm going to go to a quick break um, not quite as long as the last one but um, I want to play a song that's a little bit more uplifting as we begin to shift the conversation um, so I'm going to play this song and then we're going to come back and we'll talk about it a little bit and then we will talk about Um, kind of where you are now and some of the amazing stuff you're doing. So we'll be right back. listening to the V2V podcast. I'm, a, I'm your host, Dr. Marcy, and I'm here with tonight's guest, Miss Lisa Hall. She's an author, speaker, and an inspiration to to many, many, many people. Um, and we're discussing her journey and the link between domestic violence, um, suicide, and she's been a very transparent and talked about self-harm and some other things. So we're about to shift the conversation. But again, if you are... Um, in an abusive relationship, you need to know where local resources are. The National Domestic Violence Hotline number is 1-800-799-SAFE, that's 799-7233, and the website is thehotline.org. And then if you are in need of suicide support, you have suicidal thoughts, you're struggling with depression, you need somebody to talk to, you need somebody to talk to now, there's a 24-hour suicide support Line That number is one eight hundred two seven three 273 talk So it's one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five, 273 8255 and their website is suicidepreventionlifeline.org. So those are some of the national resources that are out there for you. Um, like I said, the song's called Some Bridges Need Burning Down. Um, the artist's name is Kesa Brown, and I played that song specifically um Because one of the things you said, Lisa, was that you kept going back because it was your second marriage. You didn't want another failed marriage on your record, so to speak. And then we talk about friends that disappoint us and friends that let us down. And, you know, we keep trying to hold on and maintain relationships that are destructive or toxic um, or just plain old one-sided. Sometimes they're just one-sided. Um, and those relationships are things that need to be burned down. Like I think we have to be okay um, walking away, but it's hard to walk away from, you know, in some cases it's long-term relationships, long-term friendships, Um you know we talk about a strategies that you can use for that in my book Challenge to Change that I'm working on, but for you um once you were finally able, you know your last straw was your last straw, you left the relationship, you've gone through everything that you've gone through um and you you've been very transparent like I said you you still struggle you know it's still hard sometimes and we we listen I played a in our voices to victorious group I shared a video of a young lady she's on Instagram under as nightbird but she sang a song on America's Got Talent um called um it's okay and she talks in the song about um You know, sometimes we lie to ourselves. I I tell myself I'm all right, but maybe I lied. And she talks about how um, her battle with um, cancer, and she shares that at the end of the video, she shares that she's been given, she has it on her lungs, her liver, and somewhere else, and that she's been given a 2% chance to live. And her words were, but isn't that amazing? 2% not 0%, so I still have a chance. I still have a shot. And she said, I'm not okay in every way, because the, the, Simon and, and, and the judges were like, so you're not okay. And she's like, well, no, not in every way, but I'm all right. I'm okay. And if we could take that energy and bottle it up to be able to say, I'm not okay in every way, but I'm going to be all right. I'm, I'm, I'm going to. It's okay. I still got two percent. Two percent is not zero percent. You know, I'm, I'm in the darkness now, but darkness doesn't last forever. So I want to talk, um, and for you to share some of the amazing stuff that you've done. I want you to talk about your books. Um, I did not know until I read your bio that you had written three bestsellers. So let's talk about some of the good things that ha- you've been able to take um, these negatives and turn into um, positives.
1: Absolutely. Um, so since my story. I was um, I have written a book. It's called The Cuts Don't Hurt Anymore for Abuse to Abundance. Um, it was inspired by a good friend of mine from high school who had heard my story and um, he told me that I needed to write a book and I said, yeah, you're crazy. <laughs> so I ran it by two people that didn't know each other and both of their responses were, why not? And I knew that that was an answer from God. It wasn't just, I just need to write a, a book, you know, and write my story. So um, since then I have, um, traveled um from state to state sharing my story and and um sharing the stage with other authors and and um and i've got other books that i'm going to write i don't have i thought of right now but i do have other books that i am i in the process of of writing and and just expanding my voice and allowing it to be heard on on all platforms um I have other podcasts that I've been invited to uh, be a, sh- a part of their podcast as well, sharing my story and and I'm just gonna keep talking. The more I talk, the more it's healing for me and reminds me to keep going as well, even in the, even in the darkness. That no matter how dark it gets for me, um, I'm reminded often that I'm not the only one going through this. And the more that I share my story, the more that others find their voice as well Um, whether it's publicly or just with me letting them know that they're going through something very similar Um, and so I just keep sharing and keep shining my light that God has given me and even in the darkness that that I can be in at times
0: I think that's, that's the thing sometimes um you know i talked about this in my story i've talked about it on other shows um but i think sometimes we can be inward focused on what we're going through and so i know for me you know when i when i exited my abusive relationship and i don't know how i got out of the house that day but i did and i had made a promise to god while i was on that floor and that was that I would do something I would do something special with the time that I had left. And at the time I had no idea what it was gonna be. I never there was no, no I never had no no frame of reference for it. I never thought about ever writing a book. I never thought about any of the things that I do now. Um I certainly never thought about Um, being able to help other women through my story. But what I found is that in telling the story and in serving other people, it takes, it's hard to shine, it's hard to focus on two things at once. So if I'm focused on service, I wasn't focused on what was me. I wasn't focused on, my uphill climb. I wasn't focused on the bruises on my face or the bruises in my soul. I was I was serving somebody else and realizing that a lot of people are just suffering in silence. And that's why this podcast is here, so people don't know that they don't have to do that. And people think that they're the only ones and letting them know that they're not the only one. Um, so when you said about, you know, writing the book. Talk about that process, because I know for a lot of my author coaching clients, that's one of the biggest hurdles people have to get over is believing that they can write the book, believing that anybody wants to hear their story. So talk about what that experience was like. When, once somebody said you should write your first book, what did what you do? How did you handle that?
1: Um, my first thought was, How am I gonna do it? And where do I start? Um, so I immediately um started surrounding myself with um other authors and reaching out to other authors on Facebook and and through my um through my circle of, of, of people. Somebody always knows somebody and and um so just getting insight on that and then people, you know, often ask me as well, well I wanna write a book but I don't know where to start. You just start. You don't worry about the, you know, you don't worry about grammar. You don't worry about where everything is going to go in your story. You just write. Um, and I, every night I would um, set a time from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., and I would just write. And I always made sure that uh, as long as God was pouring into me, I was writing. Um it didn't matter how many late hours I was up, but I was writing until this book was finished because I knew that other people were, could relate to my story. And, and, um, and that, you know, if, who's going to break the silence if I don't speak up. So I had to be that voice for others who are afraid to to speak up. And um, my biggest, takeaway from writing my book was making sure that I had people on board, um, during the process, having to relive all of that all over again, that was hard. I had many nights of, mm-hmm. of pushing through and not knowing if I was to be able to get through that next chapter and get through that next part of my life and just having that support, you know, you've got this and, you know, just pushing me on and supporting me through it. Um, but literally, just writing, just write your story. So many people need to hear it, and and there's always going to be somebody out there that can relate to your story. Um, and um, one of my mentors said said to me one time, he said, "Why are you procrastinating with writing your book?" And I said, "Cause I don't know what to write next, and I'm not. I don't. I just. I don't know. I don't know why I'm procrastinating. I just am." And and uh, one thing he said to me was whose life could be saved if your story was heard. That's all I needed, and I continued writing, in it, and that's how I finished my book. So any time that I would write and get through those challenging times with whose life is going to be saved by telling this part of my story. And so that's why I'm so open now about sharing my story. And, and you know, I I don't mask it anymore as far as when I, when I tell it. it's raw and it's real because somebody can relate to it and I'm hoping that somebody's life even if it's just one person's life that I touch and can save you're sharing my story then my mission has been
0: fulfilled yeah and that's so true um about the you know when you especially when you're telling your story and you're you're kind of writing you know it's it's all out there um stuff people don't know, stuff you tried to deny. And so in that writing process, you're absolutely right. Um, when I wrote my first book, um, Journey to Find Your Butterfly Potential, my mentor told me before I started, he said, now when you write this type of a book, you're going to hit a wall, is what he called it. And he said, um, so, I need you to be prepared for what that looks like and I remember telling him, "Um I'm good, i'm healed i'm I'm straight like I'm completely comfortable telling my story until you gotta write it <laughs> and until you get in your own head about somebody's gonna read it somebody's gonna like." If you're telling your story, like if I'm public speaking, it didn't bother me to tell my story because I could look in the audience and see who was there. I could look in the audience and if I needed to modify something or if I needed to leave out a little tiny detail or, you know, I could control, I could control what was told based on who I'm speaking to, so I'm, I'm writing the narrative to send the message that I want to send. But when you're writing your story in a book, you lose all control over who has access to it. Because once it's out there, it's out there. And you're right. Yes. Like You have to have something like for you, it was him saying, who's going to be saved? You have to have something that gets you through that wall and make you keep writing and then gives you the courage to push send when you have to th- send the manuscript to your editor or to your publisher.
1: Yeah, that sometimes is that's
0: a challenge. Yeah, it is. It really is. Um, it's a challenge for a lot of people. And so, um, so you mentioned a group. I know that you're um, heavily involved in a group on Clubhouse and um, talk about that a little bit and, you know, because that may be something, I know it's been a g- tremendous resource for you um, and a good source of support, so share the information about that, if you would, kind of with the listeners as well.
1: Absolutely. It's um, been a huge circle of support. Um, we no longer call, I mean, I call them my family. Um, they have just really embraced me and loved me with open arms. Um, it's Michael O'Brien is who runs the 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 room and it's called pause breathe and reflect um, and um and so he does it at seven the first one's at seven thirty five in the morning um eastern time and and then he'll he'll do it he'll schedule the rooms throughout the day so some days he does three rooms some days he does five rooms um throughout the day but he just allows you to be come as you are and um and just be um we laugh in there, we cry in there, we we you know, if you feel like sharing what's going on, you know, um a happy moment or a moment that you're struggling in, then he allows you to do that. Otherwise if you just wanna be and and just sit there and listen, then you can do that as well. He always tells us, "You do you, boo," and uh, so whatever you're comfortable with doing, then that's what he wants you to do. Um, but um, it's it's a it's a um, community that I have relied on huge and and um, really make sure that I am engaged as far as being a part of it every single day, um, even if I can't make every single room, um, then. You know, I'm at least in there once once a day, if not more. But it changed my life. The community in there has changed my life, and and the people in that room. So, um, if you are looking for a, a place to slow down and and breathe, and a place of community, um, I definitely encourage you to to check us out and or check him out and and come be a part of the family. Um, you know, a lot of people call in in, in clubhouse call. Call it a stage. Come up to the stage and you can talk. And he calls it the kitchen because the best conversations happen in the kitchen. Or you can stay down in the living room where you're comfortable. Um, and you want to just come up to the kitchen and be a part of us and just be. And you can do that as well. But um, we welcome everybody with open arms and and support and love on you and meet you where you're at.
0: No, I think that's great. And I've even stopped in a couple of times and kind of listened and, um, I haven't – usually I catch it after the exercises are done, but there is an amazing um, – it, it seems to have an amazing amount of support and encouragement for one another. Um, and then we also have our Facebook group, Voiceless to Victorious, um, which we are building out um, in the same vein, just to really be, give people a place to kind of gather um, and be transparent, be encouraging to one another, um, and Uh, You're in that group as well, so people can connect with you there. Um, What's your social media handles so that if they want to reach out to you directly that they can do that?
1: Um, So on Facebook, it's just my first and last name under Lisa Halls. And on Instagram, it's My Voice Is Real. Um, And you can reach me by email at myvoiceisreal at gmail.com as well.
0: Okay. All right, and I'm going to play this song because... This is You Now. You
2: know the bed feels warmer Hell So that
0: is Miss Kelly Clarkson with her song Stronger, and that's what I think about you now, my dear. You are so much stronger and than you once were, and you are also stronger than you even know that you are. You're an inspiration to so, so many people. Um, for everybody listening, that is our show tonight. Um, I thank you, Miss Lisa. Um, You know, I always say survival is a responsibility. So I'm grateful to have been able to serve alongside you tonight in hopes of saving somebody else's life and, you know, sharing some information and empowering some people to maybe have some courageous conversations uh, about what they're going through. And once again, guys, if you're if you're in a domestic violence relationship, um, an abusive relationship. Thehotline.org hotline.org is the 24-hour domestic violence hotline. The phone number is 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. And if you need suicide support, somebody to talk to 24 hours a day, you can call 1-800-273-8255 or visit them online at suicidepreventionlifeline.org. And, again, those links are on um, our website, at 9seconds.org, and if you want to connect with Ms. Lisa, you can join our Voiceless to Victoria's Facebook group. There will be links on my social media. There will be links on the website um, for you to be able to do that, and if you have a story that you want to share, some knowledge that you want to drop, or if you just have some show ideas, you can go to 9seconds.org forward slash V2V, and there's a form on there that you can complete. And in the meantime, and in between times, this is Dr. Marcy, the voice for the voiceless, and tonight's guest, Ms. Lisa Halls, wishing you all health, safety, and success until we link up again next week. Ms. Lisa, I appreciate you, and thank you. Thank you again
1: for this opportunity, and thank you everybody else who, who joined in and supported
0: us through this movement as well. All right, guys, and on that note, we are going to get out of here with our own theme song. I feel like everybody should have a theme song. Um, so we are going to head on out for this week, and we will be back here next week again at 7.30 to um, chat w- once again on Voiceless to Victorious. Oh, wow.